Hello, and welcome to this live recording from Mount Pleasant Baptist Church. So sit back, listen in, and enjoy what God's got to say to you. God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. The cross which is to the world foolishness, to others a stumbling block, but to us being saved, it is the power of God to salvation. Thank you that at the cross, we were crucified with him. And so we now live by faith in the one who loved us and gave himself for us. The one who breathed the universe into existence. The one who is in this room moving among us here by his Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, you're welcome. Do what you have purposed to do this evening. Bring glory to Jesus. Reveal the love of the Father. Expose the lies of the Father of lies. Change lives. Transform us. Help us to leave with your power enfolding us. Lord, I say there is absolutely nothing I can do for that to happen except ask you to keep me out of your way and obedient to you. Lord, that, that the words of my mouth and the thoughts of my heart will be acceptable in your sight and in your will, Lord, my strength and my redeemer. So Holy Spirit, come and do what only you can do. Transform. Heal. Break yokes. May we truly have communion this evening. Touch the hem of your garment. Hear you say to us, who touched me? For your sake, Jesus. Church said... Amen. Thank you, Dave. Thanks, Gary. And thank you all. Good evening. <clears throat> God bless. Lovely to be with you tonight. I must say, I was really pleased to discover that I uh, had the privilege of speaking to you this evening uh, in our series, Out of the Salt Shaker. And uh, it's not often these days because we choose our themes as a preaching team. So this just happened to be an opportunity to to see what in that general overall theme I should speak about. And I had a, the opportunity just to sit quietly for a couple of hours on two consecutive mornings. And both times there was a very clear, bless you, there both times there was a very clear sense. Uh, I want you to talk about the irresistible power of expressed weakness. I want you to talk about the irresistible power of expressed weakness. And when Nick came back from uh, Movement Day in Sydney and, and heard that title, he said, gee, that's, a, that's a, an arresting title. And uh, I wish it was mine. I wish it was original. I'd be really pleased if it was. But actually, I heard it on a tape back in the 1970s uh, when I was uh, just beginning in working with homeless young people. A mentor of mine gave me a tape, came out of a significant move of God in New Zealand, 
And I don't remember the speaker. I don't remember anything about the message. I've Googled and I can't find any reference to it anywhere. But this phrase, the irresistible power of expressed weakness, just hammered into me. And it has stayed with me ever since. So tonight, the irresistible power of expressed weakness. I wonder if you can relate to two things going on in you simultaneously because they do in me. The first is a deep longing to be truly known. We deeply long to be truly known, who we really are. I wish, I long to be truly known. And right alongside that, a fear of being discovered. A fear of being discovered. That list in your head that says, if you knew this about me, you must never know this. So we have this longing to be truly known and a fear that we will be. Our culture honours strength and it shames weakness. We want our successes known and our failures hidden. None of the speeches last night said, well, we got decimated and I'm delighted. What a, what a disastrous result, how good was that? We want our successes known and our failures hidden. And that's why superheroes are so successful. It's no surprise that the latest Avengers flick is making huge amount, record amounts of money. Hey, who, who doesn't secretly want to be a superhero? Well, I did. Uh, as you know, many of you know anyway, I moved around a lot as a kid and never was any pl- in one place long enough to have long-term friendships. And because of dysfunction in my extended, a very loving nuclear family, but dysfunction in my extended family meant that when we were around them, I spent a lot of time on my own. So I invented this world and I was the superhero. I showed up all the time and saved the day, defeated the villains, saved all the people in trouble. In my little private world, I was the superhero. People exaggerate on their CVs, don't they? They advertise their strengths, some that they don't have, and they hide their weaknesses. And every so often, someone in public life gets caught out doing it. But how many of us embellish, really? I did. Uh, When I was a teenager, first met Merle, I told her the most extraordinary exaggerations and some downright lies about myself. I came from Sydney, she couldn't check. Why was I doing that? Well, because I couldn't imagine a stunning girl like this would stay interested for very, for very long in someone who was as beige as I reckon I was. I have to dress it up. If she knows who I really am, this isn't going to last very long. Sometimes we embellish testimonies, don't we? <laughs> we embellish how bad we were before we met Jesus. I plunged into every depravity and sin known to humankind until I was gloriously converted at the age of eight. Or, uh, or we get into, uh, we, we embellish how good God has been. Oh, it was a magnificent meeting. There were, there was oh, well over a thousand there. That no, was 850. Uh, it's that kind of, sometimes we, we kind of advertise who, what ministry we think God's given us. You meet someone and in the first two sentences you discover, well, I have a ministry in. It kind of, I was interested to hear Tim Keller 
Tim Keller was addressing the uh, Divinity School at Samford University. And he said to these people about to go into ministry, and as you would know, I'm sure, Tim Keller has this amazing church in New York City. And he said, I know many people in New York who say their identity is, I go to church, I believe in God, I'm a Christian. But he said, no, no, their real identity is, I am successful. I have done very well. I own three homes. And when weakness threatens that and financial ruin stares at them, they embezzle, even though they're Christian. See, it goes all the way back to the Bible. The Bible tells us in Genesis chapter 4, God looked with favour on Abel's offering, but not Cain's. And Cain becomes murderously angry with his brother, just like the big brother in Jesus' story of the prodigal. And just like the father in Jesus' story of the prodigal, God comes to Cain and says, Cain, what's with the, the dummy spit? But despite the fact that God tries to intervene and talks personally to Cain, he still murders his brother. See, these, these, these things go to the deepest part of our being. We long to be known, we fear we'll be discovered. And see, if I believe God favours the successful, and it's logical enough, isn't it? Because if, if, in, if in the world, if, if, if with people, uh, it's the super cool, it's the uber cool that get the likes, it's not, hard, it's not hard to imagine God must friend the super cool as well. So when Abel appears to be the superhero in the family, maybe God's favouring him over me. And if I decide that God favours the uber cool and the successful and is looking for my strengths, then my relationship to God will depend on my performance. And someone will always be more cool. Someone will always be more successful. Some church will always be more healthy. Some, something will always beat me. I will never rest secure in the love of Jesus. If there was anyone that God friended, to borrow from a television series, it was Paul, wasn't it? Paul the Apostle. God friended that dude. My goodness. He had this amazing ministry. Someone's hindering the gospel, so Paul turns around and says, be blind for a while. And they were. Someone falls out of a window, dies, Paul raises them from the dead. He's, get, he's bitten by a snake and throws the snake back into the fire and has no ill effect. And at one stage, he was caught up into the very heaven of God, into the very presence of God, into the heights of heaven. And he says, I heard inexpressible things no one is permitted to tell. And yet, in Corinth, a bunch of so-called superheroes turned up, super apostles by their own words, and they questioned Paul's integrity and they questioned his apostleship. They said, you don't have, Paul hasn't got the credentials of an apostle. Now, if Paul was like Cain, I would expect him to attack with his strengths. I would expect him to say to the church in Corinth and to these people, excuse me, how many of you have raised the dead? How many of you have been bitten by a snake and had no ill effect? I went to heaven. I didn't see any of you there. How does Paul respond when he's under attack? Does he look to his strengths? 
Well, let's find out. Our our scripture reading tonight comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 10. He's writing to the Corinthians where he's being attacked and being questioned. And we'll start at verse 7. Because of these surpassingly great revelations when he got caught up into heaven, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I'll boast the more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me. That's why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I'm strong. I can't imagine much that is more countercultural than that last two sentences, can you? In our culture, I want you to read them with me if you would. Don't have to, but if you do, it'll, make, it'll be a bit embarrassing if I'm doing it on my own again. Uh, and, and just try to kind of, as it comes out of your mouth, sometimes things have a different ring when you say them. Think of how this relates to our culture. Let, let's read it together. I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I'm strong. That, to me, is head-on, not our culture. Paul is listing all the things that make it look like God is not favouring him. All the things that make these guys say, you're not an apostle, look at what's happening to you. See, we're running head-on into the reality that God's ways are not our ways. says it in Isaiah, he says, my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, soaring over the earth, so my ways soar over yours. Advertise strengths, hide weaknesses. That was the culture in which the Bible was written. All of those cultures in which the Bible was written, that was how they lived. You advertise your strengths, you very much hide your weaknesses. And all the ancient histories are absolutely outrageously exaggerated. There's huge bias. One of the things that, if you do ancient history at university, one of the first things they teach you is how to allow for that bias and work out what actually happened. And the, the extraordinary thing about the Bible is it's, there's none of that. There's none of it. In the Old Testament, David is one of the dominating figures, a great king. We know that he committed adultery and we know that he had the husband murdered in a battle, put him where he would be killed. Why? Because it's just left out there for us to know. In the New Testament, we know Peter, one of the pillars of the church, denied his Lord three times because there's no attempt to hide it. When Paul writes to these Corinthians, he says, I am an apostle, but I'm the least of the apostles and I don't deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. And when he writes to Timothy, he says, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. Interestingly, we don't know anything about Paul's great powerful ministry uh, from all those, things, those examples I gave you. We don't know them from Paul's letters. We only know them because Luke tells us about them in Acts. You see, if you look at the symbol that's on the screen now, it's a symbol of a cross. Jesus didn't say, crank up your superpower and follow me. Join the Avengers, God style. No, he didn't say crank up your superpower. He said, take up your cross. 
Now, to Jesus' listeners, power belonged to the people who dished out the crosses, not the people who carried them. The Romans had the power. Nobody was more powerless than someone carrying a cross because they're not coming back. Jesus' disciples just really did not understand how God's power works, and I'm not sure I understand it all that well either. Do you remember Peter? I love Peter. God bless him. He's so full on heart. Not a lot of, the words are out of the mouth before the brain's really switched on most of the time, but he's just great. And he says, Jesus, I'll die for you. Got a sword, ready to go. And when Jesus is about to be arrested, Simon's going to stop it. Out with the sword. Now, he doesn't turn into a superhero, kind of a Thor Mark II, and swing this sword, slay all the people that have come to arrest Jesus and kneel and place his sword at Jesus' feet. No. He, he makes one almighty swing, nearly misses, lops off Malchus's ear, and Jesus heals it straight away and then says to him, Peter, Peter, Peter. I could ask my father now and 72,000 angels battle ready would turn up. I don't need you swinging your sword. And maybe Jesus wants to say to some of you tonight, I don't need you swinging your sword for me. You're doing more damage than good. I'm having to go around and heal people. (laughs) You're chopping off their ears. (laughs) Stop trying to do it for me, please. You see, he said, Peter... You're going to understand my power, but you're going to deny me three times, something you thought you would never do before you're going to start to understand my power. And Paul, I'll keep reminding you of my power with this thorn that I just let come at you. Because you both have to learn my power is perfected in weakness. That's the message of the Lord to Paul. My power is perfected in weakness. Now, that word perfected, it's actually the Greek word teleo. And it's what Jesus said on the cross in John's gospel. See, Jesus didn't die, he gave his life. His blood wasn't spilled, it was shed, it was given. And he cried out with a loud voice just before he died. I've sat with people when they die. They don't do that. Jesus gave his life. And the last word he said on the cross in John's gospel was, teleo, finished, done. Nothing looked more weak than a dead Jesus hanging on the cross. Nothing released the power of God more fully than that moment. Nothing released it more fully than that. And when I am as surrendered to my Father as Jesus was when he gave up his life, I will know God's power in its fullness. That's the place of power. So Paul says, I'm going to boast about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That that word rest is beautiful. It's like pitch a tent over me. I'm going to boast in my weaknesses so that Christ's power can completely enfold me. Completely enfold me. When I'm weak, then I'm strong. So we come to this thorn. God obviously didn't think it was important that we know exactly what the thorn was because he would have told us. 
<laughs> and people have spent hundreds of years trying to work out what it was. What was Paul's thorn in the flesh? I think God's saying, doesn't matter. If I wanted you to know, I'd have told you. <laughs> what matters about the thorn is a lot of the stuff that we do know. We know that the word thorn can also be translated stake, and the scholars kind of debate about which one's better. Either way, this thing was severe. It was so severe, this, this thing that was giving him pain was so severe that he pleaded with the Lord three times to take it away it wasn't like you know email to God from from, from Paul uh, rethorn uh, hi God uh, if you're not too busy and you know if you can find a way getting rid of this would be helpful no no he's saying God would you please take this can't deal with this please take it and the Lord comes back three times saying no let's let's remember what it wasn't clearly it's not sin it'd be ridiculous it would be really weird it would be blasphemous almost for Paul to be saying I glory in my sin silly Paul said no no sin separates you from God it doesn't release God's power what you do with sin is put it to death so he says I was crucified with Christ our old self has been crucified count yourselves dead to sin and it's not folly it's not stupidity I've sometimes said to Nick, if I ever wrote a book about how to do church, and I don't plan to, but if I did, I think I'd call it, just don't be stupid. It's, it's nothing, I mean, what does Solomon say? Above all, get wisdom. Wisdom is the main thing. Get wisdom. Have good, mature Christian counsellors. Go to the Word of God. Check things out. Be wise. Paul is not saying, I rejoice in being stupid. In fact, the Proverbs gives us that very graphic illustration. If you keep going back to being stupid, you're like a dog going back to its vomit. What we do know is that this thorn was a messenger of Satan that came to buffet Paul. The word buffet or beat actually means slapped. And it's exactly the same word as when Jesus was slapped in the face at his trial. And it kept on slapping him in the face. The best way I can picture it is being in a revolving door with a picket stuck in it. And every time you come around, you get hit again. Bang, bang. Continually running into this thing. And yet Paul says, I delight in weakness. And that word delight, that's the same Greek word as when the Father said from heaven when Jesus was baptized and when he was transfigured and glowed like the sun, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. So Paul is saying this, I am as pleased to have these weaknesses as the Father's delight in the son. That is extraordinary, isn't it? How does that work? How does that work? Well, it couldn't be more countercultural, but it couldn't be more central to how God works. We see it in the life of Joseph. You remember Joseph, coat of many colours, you know, that, that little dude? Youngest in the family, a lot of zeal, not a lot of wisdom when he's younger, has these prophecies that his brothers are all going to bow down to him, so he's silly enough to tell them. And his father favours him, so his brothers get ticked off and off to sell him as a slave and tell his father that he's dead. Through many dangers, toils and snares, he becomes the second most powerful in Egypt. And when Merle and I stood in Milan in Italy and looked at the Egyptian antiquities there, these massive statues, Egypt was a superpower that makes the United States now look second rate. It dominated its world and Joseph is now second in command and his brothers front up. They would have been terrified. A word from him and they're dead. But Joseph says this lovely thing. 
It's one of Mill's favorite verses, actually. She, she loves this one. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. You meant it to harm me, but God intended it for good. So Paul knows this messenger, I'm not enjoying it, but it's for my good. I know that, Father. And doesn't that give a lot more guts to Paul saying, in all things God works for the good of of those who love him. Whack! In all things God works for the good. Whack! In all things God works for the good of those who love him. Peterson catches it beautifully, I think. He translates this passage this way. Satan's angel did his best to get me down. But what he did was push me to my knees. No danger then of me walking around high and mighty. That beautiful. Satan wanted to knock me down. God just used it to bring me to my knees. You see, Paul Paul knew why, by the way, he had the thorn. Because he tells us. It was in order to keep me from becoming conceited, proud. You see, when God blesses me, when God blesses you, when God blesses a church, there's always a danger that we tip into pride. It's so easy. And, and, and St. Augustine said, pride is not a sin, it is the sin. And so whenever the, 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 the goodness... That's what caused Lucifer to be tossed out of heaven, by the way. I can be as God. It's the lie that he told Eve. Oh, God doesn't want you to eat this stuff because he knows if you do, you'll be like God. So can you see that if you're having blessing and success and strength, there's this great danger of tipping into pride, starting to think God's really blessed to have us on his team. But when I move to weakness, I move to grace because a principle of scripture is God is opposed to the proud but gives grace to the humble. I try to have a zero tolerance for pride in my life. And Merle is very helpful with that. She's, she helps me a lot in that regard. <laughs> and I'm glad because I don't want to be standing where God is opposing me. And if God can use my weaknesses and those thorns to move me, and, and, sh- and as I move towards weakness, I'm moving towards grace. And that's a great place to be. John Wesley was a Peter in his early days. He really, Wesley, for those of you know, the Methodist Wesley, that one. John Wesley was a, he worked hard for Jesus. I don't think anybody worked harder for Jesus than John Wesley. He led a group at Oxford that used to meet every morning, every morning at six, and they met until nine, three hours. He had this very complex grid, and he measured his holiness every hour he was awake. He was, um, when, when his group, because they were so full on, uh, they were teased in Oxford, they were criticised actually quite vigorously, and they were called the Holy Club. And he said, well, that's just a sign of that we're truly being Christian. People are attacking us. He went as a missionary to America. And then he spectacularly crashes and burns. He, his, his biographer says he fled the colony depressed and defeated and he's sitting here tonight feeling like that Jesus I've tried I've tried to serve you I'm sincere I and I feel depressed and defeated and I'm done 
He wrote this, I went to America to convert the Indians, but oh, who shall convert me? My faith is just a speculative, notional, airy shadow which lives in my head, but not my heart. So he's defeated, he's done, he's back in England. And he goes to St. Paul's Cathedral and the choir sings Psalm 103. Out of the depths, God, I cry to you. It's so deep in Latin, it's called de profundus, the profound depths, despair. Out of despair, God, I cry to you. But then the psalm goes on. If you keep a record of my sins, who could stand? But with you is forgiveness. Put your hope in the Lord, for with him is unfailing love, full redemption, and his weakness is starting to bring him to grace. There's hope in God. John, you're not defeated. And then very reluctantly, he goes to Aldersgate Street. And as he listens to the speaker, as you all know, he writes, my heart was strangely warmed. He's filled with the Holy Spirit. And his life transformed. And he wrote this. The chief of sinners I am. But Jesus died for me. Never give me over to my own heart's desires. Never let me follow my own imaginations. He's saying, I did that for years. Never let me do it again, Lord. Not my desires. Not what I think you want. And when he writes his notes on these verses we're looking at tonight, he writes this. He actually says, Deeply conscious of my weakness, then does the strength of Christ rest on me. And this wasn't theological truth alone, it was lived experience. He preached 42,000 sermons at a rate of three a day. He rode about 4,500 miles a year, about 60 to 70 miles a day. And at the age of 83, he wrote, I'm a wonder to myself. I'm never tired, either with preaching, writing, or traveling. He lived this. But what was his prayer? Never give me over to my heart's desires. And again, Peterson captures this beautifully. Peterson says, I just let Christ take over. And so the weaker I get, the stronger Christ's power enfolds me the stronger I become and the idea is linear the more I surrender as Jesus surrendered on the cross the more God's power enfolds me see see if you relate to this because this is what I do I, I, I tend to have an area that's bothering me and I bring that to God and say Lord would you just deal with this please I, I want your forgiveness I need your help I can. but what I'm really saying is God all the rest <laughs> I can look after so it's an oxymoron, isn't it? Lord, would you do this, but I'll look after that. So you're not really Lord at all. Apart from the fact that I can't look after that, I'm still being God. I'm choosing which bit of me I'll actually let the Lord have a look at. I'm still relying on my strength. And Isaiah tells me what happens then, you young adults that are here. Even you get tired. And even you stumble and fall. When I rely on my strength, I get tired and weary and burned out on religion. And God in his grace allows thorns to come at me. And I wonder what's coming at you. Why did he tell me to talk to you about this? 
And this thorn pushes and prods and, until I think I'm driven to the end of myself and to cling to Jesus because he is all I have left. I'm pushed by this thorn into the love of Christ. Weakness is his gift to bring me to where his power can enfold me if I surrender. And so many times I've gone, that's it, Lord, I'm done, I give up. And I quietly hear this little voice say, at last, if you really mean that, we can start. If you really will give up and obey, we can start. I discover what's on the screen. He doesn't give power to the superhero. He gives power to the weak who will own their weakness and turn in obedience to him. I want to finish with a parable from the moon. Here's a moon that's uh, rising in Alaska. The moon has no light of its own. All that beauty is only because it's reflecting the sun. Just like us, hey? Different sun. And what makes the moon, moon beautiful are the scars. And if, if, if tonight at communion you will come and say, Lord Jesus, you said this was your body broken for me. Here's my life and my agendas and how hard I've tried for you. I give it to you. I break it. I give it up then an amazing thing happens to your wounds. Henry Nguyen put it beautifully out of his life in large community living with the developmentally delayed adults. He says this, the main question isn't how can we hide our wounds so we don't have to be embarrassed, it's how can we put our woundedness in the service of others. When our wounds cease to become a source of shame and become a source of healing, we have become wounded healers. I wonder, will you pray with me? Just before we go to communion, I want just to give you a moment with God. Pray that out of all that I've said, he has spoken to you. I deliberately have not given any examples of what a weakness might be or what a thorn might be because I really sense God was saying to me, I will tell them. You'd only confuse matters. Let me speak to my people. Just tell them the principle. My power enfolds them when they own their weakness. Not their sin. Don't, don't say, help me with this bit, Lord, but I'll keep running my own life, thank you. No, he chooses where I live, and who I marry, and what I study, and what I do, how my retirement will look. Because only he knows what is best for me. I don't want to be like Peter, swinging my sword around and lopping off people's ears. I actually want to say, Lord Jesus, you are the God who can do immeasurably more than I can even imagine. I surrender to that love. I trust you, Lord. We hope you enjoyed this message from Mount Pleasant Baptist Church. If you'd like to talk to someone about what you've heard today, then you can contact the team at Mount Pleasant Baptist Church by calling the office during office hours on 9329 Thanks for joining us. We look forward to your company again soon. God bless.